Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, we're going to start first in Genesis chapter 1. And this is, this is going to take me probably this week and next week to get through this because I need to lay a foundation. But it starts with, with Genesis 1. And this, this starts, this process this week um, started, I was listening to, um, I, I like his political commentary, but I also listened to him, Dennis Prager, He's a radio, has a radio show, and he's very um, um, conservative. But even more than being a conservative, I like him because he's not a shock jock. He doesn't um, argue with people. He doesn't put people down. He has discussions, polite discussions. And if he disagrees with you, he disagrees with you politely. But I found out a, a couple of years ago, just from listening to him, that he also, he's, a, he's a practicing Jew. He also is a teacher of the Torah, and he has actually written an entire set of commentaries, Jewish commentaries, on the Torah. So I started listening to a few things that he had on YouTube about the Torah, and I just found some of it fascinating to see from a, a conservative, and he's conservative not only politically, but he's conservative theologically for a Jew, and to hear his take on things. And I was listening to him preach at a, a, a church a Christian church, actually, in um, Texas, about the Torah, and he brought up this this um, concept, and and I, I agree at least in in principle. I wouldn't go quite as far as he goes with it, but his contention was that coming out of Egypt, now Moses wrote the first five books, the Torah wrote the first five books of the Bible, um, from what God told him on the mountain when he gave him the law. But his, his contention was that a big part of the purpose of the law, and, the, and I disagree with him on this some, but a big purpose, in the, in, for at least for that first generation, he had brought them physically out of Egypt, but he needed to get the Egypt out of them. And so what he did as he, as he recounted all of these events from creation through all the way to through the end of the Torah, he was showing separation. And the more I read it, the more I started recognizing it, and I saw it. But then, in, in the midst of this, as I'm, I'm just kind of meditating on this, the thought came to me, wait a minute, Paul says in Galatians and in Colossians that now for us as Christians, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. All of these distinctions that God makes and separations that He makes at the beginning, He has now done away with. And it's one of these, this, and if you want to kind of plug this in, back in the spring or summer, I, I preached several messages on the paradoxes in the Bible. Well, this is a clear paradox, because if you just read on the surface, God said, I created man male and female, different very different. In fact, one of the, the, the problems with the modern world, and it's, it's part of the plan, and, and most you know, people will either subscribe this to political motivations in that it's political correctness run amok or whatever, that we want to do away with all distinctions. 
And I, I grew up in the 60s and went to college in the early 70s. And I remember hearing in the classroom, there's really no difference between men and women. The only difference between men and women is what, what the, the society trains them to be. You give a little boy a, a, a teacup, you know, a tea set and, and dolls, and he'll develop emotionally and, and sociologically just like a girl will. Well, my, my experience has been you give a little boy a teacup set, and he's going to be using the saucers for Frisbees. You know, he's going to break the handle off the teacup and use the handle for a gun. There are distinct differences that God has made between male and female, and yet Paul very clearly said in Galatians 3.28, now there is in Christ, there's neither male nor female. So it's a paradox. Why did you create us so differently, and now you say there's no difference between us? Well, that's what we're going to look into and expand, but I want to set the... the the foundation here. Genesis 1-1 is where everything begins. God said, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's a period right there. Now, as a scientist by training, I will tell you that as a scientist, that's what scientists call the Big Bang. There was nothing. There was no empty space, there was no time, there was no matter, there was no energy, nothing. Our, the universe that we now live in, none of it existed. Now a scientist will tell you that nothing just spontaneously divided into matter and antimatter and into space, which we, we now realize scientifically, that empty space actually has a structure. There's something there. It's called space-time. And without space-time, where the Earth and the Sun and all of the planets and all of the solar systems sit, without that empty space, you can't have matter. It's, it's, it's empty, but there is a structure there of some kind, and, and nobody really understands exactly what it's made of or how it works. We just know that it works. It always puzzled me because everything in this world, even when I, before I, I got into the Bible and knew what the Bible said, it always puzzled me. Everything in our world, everything in our universe has one overriding concept, and it's the concept of cause and effect. It's the whole basis of all of the science that we have dealt with for the last 500 years. If you see something happened, you can trace back there had to be something that caused it. That's cause and effect at its simplest. Well, if, if nothing split into matter and antimatter and space and time, what was the cause? Well, there was no cause. It's just self-created. That's the, the, the not, not all science, but the, the agnostic or, or um, God-denying science will tell you that. Well, it makes no sense. Genesis 1-1 tells us what happened. God, who stands outside of the universe, says, let it be. And suddenly, the universe is in existence. Now, we can argue when that happened, what form it happened, how things looked at the very beginning. I don't care. God created it. Amen? But notice, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. The emphasis being in all of the universe, 
There's the earth. The earth and mankind in the earth is the emphasis of everything. Everything. Verse 2, though, says, The earth was without form and void. The, the Hebrew term there is tohu vabohu. And it's a, it's a and I'm, I, I, I can read vines. I can look up, you know, in, in different Hebrew dictionaries. But I'm certainly no Hebrew scholar. I don't even, you know, I don't even know Hebrew scholars. And I certainly didn't sleep in the Holiday Inn Express last night. But everything I read about tohu vabohu means it's a play on words. And literally it's translated without form and void. But that is a... It's not that it's a bad translation, but it'd be like, and Gina teaching Spanish, she would give me these. We have little sayings. See you later, alligator. Well, you say that in a different language to someone in a different culture, and they'll look at you like, what? That makes no sense at all. It makes sense in English. It makes no sense in a foreign language. Well, tohu vabohu makes no sense. Formless and void, really, we lose the impact of it. But here is, is where it's used. Isaiah 45, 18, go over there. And this is only used a couple of places. Isaiah 45, verse 18. This is the, the, the word tohu, which is translated in Genesis 1, 1, or 1, 2 as formless, is translated here. It says, for thus says the Lord, who created the heavens who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in tohu, in vain. He did it in, in Genesis 1-2. It says the earth is formless and void. It is tohu vabohu. But Isaiah says God did not create it tohu. So how is it tohu vabohu? How is it this way when in verse 1 he created the heavens and the earth? Isaiah says, yes, God did create the heavens and the earth. But he didn't form it formless. And, and really, the, 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 probably the best translation or, or explanation of tohu vabohu is, is it's in chaos. It's, if you go, you look at um, um, pictures of German cities in 1935... And then you take 10 years later in 1945 and you look at those same German cities, especially cities like Dresden, where we firebombed, killed 15, 20, 30,000 people one night. From 35 to 45, that's Tohu Vabohu. It's completely demolished. There are no buildings standing. Everything is wrecked. Everything is bombed out. Everything is burned out. If you're there, you're having a hard time living because the streets are full of rubble. There's nothing functioning in this city anymore. It's been destroyed. That's Genesis 1-2. It's been destroyed. God didn't create it destroyed, but it has been... In fact, if you read on in verse 18, he says, I am the... Or, excuse me, he says, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. God didn't create the earth and chaos, and all messed up, he created it to be habited. But somehow, it got messed up. 
Well, I'm not going to go there, but if you go over to Isaiah 4, chapter 14, it talks about the origin of um, Lucifer. And it says in, in, in that section that, that Lucifer told God, I am going to take my throne and put it above your throne. And, it, and I don't have time to, to teach that lesson. But the essence of it is there was, there was some kind of creation here before verse 2. There is a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. And we have almost no information about that, what went on, other than it appears that, that Lucifer had a throne on this planet. And there was a creation here. There was life here. It wasn't human. But there was life here. It really does explain when scientists go back and they find remains, Lucy, the one, you know, one of humans' primordial ancestors, she looks kind of human, looks kind of, you know, ape-like, and yet she existed millions of years before any human life was here. Well, where'd she come from? My contention is, you can disagree with me or not, my contention is there was a whole creation and we see a lot of the remains because when, when Satan fell, God, and it wasn't so much that God came in and destroyed the earth, it was that in, in the war that ensued between God and Satan and his forces, the earth got destroyed. And God came in at a later time and it says, if you go back to Genesis 1-1, or excuse me, 1-2, it says, first of all, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That, that, the hovering there, if you go to, um, well, hold your place there in Jeremiah or in Genesis. We'll be right back. But if you go to Jeremiah 4.23, this is where one of the places where tohu vabohu is used. Jeremiah 4.23, it says, I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. So what's going on? There's no light on the planet. Now, I've heard people say, well, there wasn't any light because God created the earth first and the sun second. Well, no, that's just silliness. It wasn't here, and, and if you go on, it says that, that darkness was, going back to Genesis 1-2, darkness was on the face of the deep. But notice, the Spirit of the God was hovering over the face of the waters. That little portion of Scripture tells you your viewpoint for the rest of, of this passage. God is between the heavens, the atmosphere, and dry earth, or water. He's hovering that, that term there, if you, and I don't have this, the verse here, if you go over where that, that, that word again for hovering, it's not just hovering, it's, it's used later on to describe what an eagle does, a, a mother eagle does with her eaglets when it's time for them to get out of the nest and go fly. She hovers over them. She makes it uncomfortable for them and actually shoves them out of the nest. If they have trouble in this passage, she will actually, it says that she will swoop down and get them and bring them up. Deuteronomy 32, 11. It says, As the eagle stirs up her nest, 
hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. This hovering and spreading her wings is the same reference that Moses is making in Genesis 1-2. God is doing something on the face of the earth. He's taking this chaos and he's removing the chaos and the disorder and starting to bring order. And when it says in verse 3, then God said, let there be light and there was light. This isn't the creation event. This is God taking a world that's in total darkness because there's so much rubble and rush and, and junk in the air. The, the atmosphere is so polluted because of the war between God and Satan that you can't get light into the surface of the earth. And, and God comes in and hovers over it and starts repairing it. And suddenly, it's not that God created light for the first time. It's that God took the light that was already there and he lets it start to penetrate to the earth. Which is a great example of what God does with us. When you get light on something, you can read. I've read passages sometimes hundreds, thousands of times. And then you read it and it's like, Whoa, where did that come from? I've read this so many times and I thought I'd seen something. And yet, man, I just saw something I've never seen. The light was there. It's been there for all eternity. But suddenly God said, okay, you're at a point where you can understand a little more. Let me give you a little more insight on this. And when it happens, it just knocks your socks off. Sometimes you sit back and you say, wow, I just never saw that. That's exactly what's happening here in, in, in verse 2 and 3. God has taken the light that already existed and suddenly he's bringing light into the earth. Why is he doing this? Initially, remember, Satan said, I'm taking my throne and I'm putting my throne above your throne. And God said, no, you don't. And, and in the process of the no you don't, the earth was destroyed. And now God has come in and doing a, really not a recreation. He's not creating it brand new from, from nothing. You know, it's the old joke about the scientist and, the, and God go face to face in a debate. And the scientist says, I can do everything you can do. And he said, really? Well, give me a challenge. And the scientist says, well, I can create life. I can create a cell. And he says... Okay, let's both do that. And the scientist says, okay, I'm going to go to my lab. And God looks at him and says, no, 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 no. You don't get a lab. He said, you want to create life, go create your own stuff to create life out of. You don't get to use any of my stuff. This is my stuff. Well, it's one thing to take something, and, and I'll be honest with you, if the Lord tarries, we're probably not too far with all of the, the modern technology and all of the new techniques. Science may be able to create an artificial cell and create artificial life. It's probably technically within the, the, the means, at least the technical means of science to do that at this point. But keep in mind, this is a little, you know, I saw a squirrel. Let's chase it for a minute. Keep in mind... The best minds in the world with the most sophisticated uh, um, computers to analyze and plan and the most sophisticated uh, technical gear that exists 
have been working for decades to create an artificial cell. And they have not been able to do it. And yet, the evolutionist, the the materialist will tell you, oh, that happened by accident. In in an environment, this primordial soup. And, And not only did it happen, but we've got certain chemical reactions that only happen at several hundred degrees that are going on at the same time with chemical reactions that can only happen at uh, 40 or 50 degrees, and yet it happened. Well, how do you know it happened? Because for me to admit that it didn't happen means I have to believe in a God and I'm not going there. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, that is the the only argument that materialists and evolutionists have. If I agree with you that it's impossible to create life apart from a supernatural source, I have to agree that there's a supernatural source, and my philosophy will not allow me to do that, so I deny it. It, Everything is the old story. You know, the scientists and, and, and the materialists and the industrialists all climb this mountain of wisdom. When they get to the top, the, the philosopher priest is sitting there saying, what's taking you guys so long? I've been here. God put me here, you know, ages ago. When it all comes down, it's, do you believe in God? Do you not believe in God? It's Hebrews eleven six. It's impossible to please God without faith because... To please God, you must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. That's the ultimate question. But we have God doing this, and I'm taking a long time. At the rate I'm going, this is going to be a 30-week series. Verse 3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided. This is the separation. This is God coming in, very first part of the Torah. He's doing, he's separating things and saying, we're going to make this different. We're, I'm going to point out all the differences and I'm going to tell you, go here, don't go there. It's a tree of good and evil in, in microcosm. He said, God saw the light and it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. And God, God called the, the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, verse 6, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. God said, okay, we're going to divide even further. I've divided light and day, good and evil. Now I'm going to divide the waters. There's going to be waters in the heaven. This is talking about the atmosphere and the the immediate uh, space above the earth. And there's going to be water down here on the earth. I'm dividing between them. The the point here is God's separating. And verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Again, dividing the land from the water. And God called the dry land earth, the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass. And you go on down through, well, verse 8 said this was the second day. Everything that you're going to see going through here is God dividing. The, the, the epitome of it was if you get to, in Genesis 1, 
Verse 27, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then you go into to chapter 2 and to verse 20. It tells you how he did it. So Adam gave names to all cattle of the... Uh, to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. For, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him or suited to him. Part of what God was doing, and we don't know how long this took, but God brought Adam in and he said, Okay, Adam, I want you to name all the animals. Well, all of the animals came to him, male and female. One, two. One, two. One, two. And every time God would bring an animal to Moses or to Adam, Adam would see two, and he'd look over and he'd say one, two, one. And he and, and after you do that a couple of hundred thousand times, you know Adam was pretty smart. He named them all. It started dawning on Adam. They all got partners. Why don't I have a partner? That's part of the reasoning, because God could have just snapped and said, okay, Adam, here's the names of the animals, and just downloaded it to him, and he knew them. Instead, he brought them one by one to impress upon Adam, you're alone, except for me. And then in verse 21, it says, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, a man with a womb, because she was taken out of the man. And then what did God tell him once he brought Eve to Adam? He said, now, go forth, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So what's going on here? You're seeing a pattern. Remember I said God's doing all this separation? He, he's ultimately, you get to um, um, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, and God sets forth there, Paul quotes it and several other. He combines a bunch of verses in 2 Corinthians 6 where he says, Come out from among them. Be ye separate. God has, that's a whole message of the Old Testament. Come out. Be separate. Be separate. Be separate. Get out of the world. And yet, we see it with Adam and Eve. And yet, when in, in the end, God says, Okay, Adam and Eve, I have separated you. I made a, a, took a part out of Adam. I made a woman. Now I want you to come together because it's in the coming back together that we get new life. In the Old Testament, the message was because God had called Israel out for one purpose and only one purpose, to bring in the Messiah. That's why Israel existed, and it's the only reason they exist today is because God made promises to Israel, unconditional promises. Nobody twisted his arm. Particularly, uh, he gave Abraham promises of how much land you're going to occupy. They have never to this day occupied all that land. That's why we have to have the um, tribulation and the millennial reign, particularly the millennial reign. God cannot be finished with Israel because he hasn't fulfilled the promises he made to Abraham. 
And if he doesn't fulfill those promises, he's a liar. And if he's a liar, then Satan's throne is going to go above God's throne, and then we're all in trouble. So the devil thinks, oh, I got, I got things pretty well in hand. I've screwed up, you know, the entire earth. Things are really going my way right now. I mean, look at the modern society. I have, I'm, I'm winning on all fronts. Well, when it is the darkest, that's when, that's when God breaks forth. He waits till it's impossible because he doesn't want anybody else to get credit for it. Amen? But the, the whole point here is God wants us to, to be separate, but he brings us back together in the end because that's where new life comes from. He started it with man. If you go to Deuteronomy, uh, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 21, just a few examples of God separating. Leviticus 21.1, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, Thou shalt defile, thou shalt not defile yourself for the dead among his people. Basically, in, in Leviticus 21.1, God says the priesthood, and we see an example of this in, in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priesthood cannot be associated with death. Now, if you think about that for a minute, and every religion throughout the entire world, what is one of the major functions of the priesthood? It's to bury the dead. And yet, for Israel, God said, you will not go near death. With a couple of exceptions, which he gets in verse 2, if it's a very close relative, basically your mom, your dad, your kids, maybe grandkids, that's it. And then you're going to be defiled, and you'll have to go through a big, long process to become clean again. But I want your emphasis almost exclusively to be life. You go to my temple, and you bring life. You do the sacrifices. You are to be concentrating just on life and don't have any connection with death at all. Now that describes our function. Remember, we are priests and kings. But keep in mind, here again, God's called Israel to be separate. But what has He called us to do? Jesus is our model. Jesus was presented with death more than one occasion. Lazarus was dead. He went to their house. What did he do? He took the life of God and overpowered the death of Lazarus. When, when lepers would appear before him, you were commanded by the law, don't touch a leper. Why? Because it'll get off on you. Remember, leprosy is a type of sin. Don't hang around those sinners. You know, good, bad morals will, will spoil good morals. You hang around with the wrong crowd, that wrongness will get off on you. There was a reason Jesus was called a glutton, a whoremonger, and a drunkard. Because he hung around with gluttons and whores and drunks. How could he do that? That's exactly what the Pharisees and, and the priesthood said. If you're a righteous man, how, you would know who this woman was and you wouldn't have anything to do with her because we're called to be apart from these sinners. You can always tell when it's, you're real religious because you just sin. You've got to pronounce the sin. What was Jesus' attitude? 
I know who I am. I am the son of the living God. I have a relationship with my Father, and He who is in me is greater than the sin, the death, the disease. It doesn't matter. I'm going in amongst them. Look at the Great Commission. What is our Great Commission? What does it tell us to do? It says, go into all the world. Israel was told, stay out of the world. Don't associate with them. Stay away from them. Why? Because they will infect you. Now there are, even for in the law, there are some exceptions to that. Rahab was a prostitute. She's in the lineage of Jesus. She lived in a city that God said, do not let one living thing come out of that place. You kill them all. Babies to the oldest. I want every animal killed. Anything you take out of there of value, gold, silver, Precious stones, you take them and you redeem them. You put them in, in, in my kingdom. You put them in my temple, my tabernacle. You don't get anything because it'll defile you. Achan found that out the hard way. He decided to keep a bobble, and it killed him. And yet Rahab came out of there not only alive, she became a Jew, she married, and her great, 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 somewhere in there, grandson, was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was a sinner. The, 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 tri- or the, the, yeah, the tribe of Moab worshipped Chemosh. And Chemosh's uh, chief way to worship Chemosh was through human sacrifice. If you want a picture of it, think of what the Aztecs did. You know, people want to complain that, you know, uh, uh, um, Christopher Columbus came and, and he conquered the Aztecs and, you know, that was a horrible thing. It was uh, genocide. Not realizing that the Aztecs conquered every tribe around them and when they conquered you, they would take you back to their pyramids and they would drag you to the top, and while you were still alive, they would take a flint knife and jab it in your chest and cut your heart out and raise it up to the sun god while it was still beating. <clears throat> That's what Moab did. And yet Ruth pledged her allegiance to um, Naomi, but even more important, she said, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people your God will be my God. When that happened, she came. She, God didn't look at her and say, ooh, it's a Moabitess. Now, the nation of Israel still looked at her and said, it's a Moabitess. You don't know if you really want to have anything to do with her. And just a couple of generations later comes David, who is a type of Christ, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. There's, you might debate whether Solomon was greater than he. Personally, I'd take David over Solomon anyway, any day. David had his problems. He did have enough sense not to marry a thousand wives, all from different tribes to make... And it wasn't that, that um, Solomon was, you know, um, perverted and had a huge sexual appetite. It was that he was making treaties. Instead of depending on God to bring peace as they conquered, he made treaties with the tribes around him by marrying into those tribes. And it brought nothing but disaster. And yet, Ruth 
was his great-grandmother. How's that work? Because she made God her God. Look at Elijah. Very first verse of, I think it's, it's um, 1 Kings 17, 1. It says, Elijah the Tishbite. Tishbite literally means captive or stranger. Elisha was not a Jew. And yet he's one of the greatest prophets of God who dealt with Israel, conquered, you know, slaughtered, I forget how many now, the 400 and some odd um, prophets of Baal. God used him, and he was not a natural-born Jew. He was a stranger in their midst. And yet God used him to minister to his people. What's my point? You can't just take the letter of the law and use it to, to pigeonhole people. Even God, who said, come out from among them and be separate, invited Rahab in, invited Ruth in, invited Elijah in. You go over in the New Testament, you look at Jesus. It says that, that he was, was going, had his, his uh, face set to go to Jerusalem. And they had to go through Samaria to get there. And they got to a Samaritan town. The, the, the disciples went in to get supplies and the town said, no, none for you. You're a bunch of Jews. You have denied that um, um, Mount um, Gerizim is where, where sacrifices continually have gone on. Even when you people were over in captivity, we were still in the land. And we have, they still to this day, there are less than 800 Samaritans left in the world. But still on Passover, every year they go up on the top of Mount Gerizim and they slaughter nearly 50 sheep to Yahweh. They're still doing it. They have never stopped doing it from the time Solomon built the temple. They have never ceased in their sacrifices. They are still doing them today. Still getting persecuted by today. And the Jews looked on them and said, you're worthless scum. We don't want anything to do with you. And part of it, you look in, in Ezra, particularly Ezra 9, God told them, I don't want you to have anything to do with the, the Samaritans. They've entered and married, despite what I said to do. And yet, Jesus goes to a Samaritan village. They won't help him. The disciples come back and say, hey, you think we ought to pull, you know, call down fire like Elijah did? And he said, guys... You don't know what spirit you are. I didn't come to kill people. I came to give them life. He rebuked them because they rejected. And then later on, he comes to, to the, the village of Sychar, and he's tired, and he sends his, and it's in, in Samaria, and he sends his disciples in to get food, and he's standing there by the well, and he's thirsty. He's hungry. You know, as, as my kids would tell you, he's hangry. That means you're tired, you're hot, and you're, and you're hungry. And it's having a little problem with your disposition. Well, I don't know that Jesus was having a problem with his disposition, but he was sitting there, he was thirsty, he was hungry, and he was resting. And this woman comes out, the Bible says it's at the sixth hour. That's not when you came to draw well to, or water at the well. She was being shunned by the Samaritans, the scum of the earth. And they won't have anything to do with this lady because she's a lady of ill repute. Later on, Jesus is going to tell her, yeah, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. She's so nasty, the, the Samaritans who were the nasty of the nasties won't have anything to do with her. 
And Jesus ministers to her, talks to her, and she gets so convinced that this is the Messiah, she forgets about Mount Gerizim versus Jerusalem, and she runs back to the, to the uh, uh, village, and she starts telling everybody, you got to come see this guy at the well. Why was Jesus doing this? He was told in the law. This man kept the law perfectly. And the law said, don't have anything to do with them. Because Jesus had a higher law, and it's the law of love. You can't walk in faith. Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God without faith. You cannot walk in faith without walking in love. And Jesus went to the lowest of the low, ministered to her, and she became the evangelist of evangelists. Ran back into the village. The disciples come back and say, Lord, we brought you the food. And he said, I'm not hungry. What do you mean you're not hungry? You were starving earlier. You wanted us to go get food. You were so hungry you couldn't even go into the village with us. And he said, no, to do my father's will is my food. And then he starts preaching to him. And he uses the very famous verse that says, you say that, that in such and such time is the time of harvest. I'm telling you that today is the day the fields are white unto harvest. What we miss as Gentiles, good American or American Gentiles, is Samaritans to this day and back then wore white turbans on their heads. And what Jesus saw and pointed to when he said the fields are white unto harvest, he pointed out at the entire village coming out of the village to the well to meet him because this evangelist of a woman of ill repute went in and said, you got to come meet this man. He ministered to me. He changed me from the inside out. And the whole village came out and Jesus said, okay, let's spend a couple extra days here. I thought he was, his, his face was set to go to Jerusalem. He found a place that was open for ministry. And he stayed. And he ministered to the scum of the earth because they were receptive to him. It's again, you separate male and female, but when they come back together, they produce new life. We are called to a life of separation. But, but our life of separation is not absolute we are called and and i'm i'm going to quit with this and we'll pick it up next week but we are called to go into the world the great commission he said preach this message of the kingdom where in jerusalem judea the rest of the of the nation of israel and then to the uttermost parts of the earth he didn't tell us to separate from the world. He said, I want you to dive in head first. Well, Lord, if I get out in that muck and that mire, it's going to get on me. No, no. You jump out in that muck and the mire with the power of God on the inside of you. I love what Pastor Chuck said. You know, the reason that we have, have had, and, and this is where I'm going next week, just a little preview. The reason we have this fortress mentality, we have to defend ourselves against the forces of evil trying to take us over, is we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know the power of God that's on me, on the inside of you and on me. 
He's not only recreated me, he's empowered me and anointed me to take the good news of the gospel to the world. I don't worry about the world getting on me. The world better worry about my power, the power of Christ getting on them. And that will bring deliverance. That will bring salvation. That will bring change. You want to change the United States of America? There's only one way to do it. One person at a time. Now we may, there, there's going to be times when they're going to get saved by the untold thousands in a group. But for us as individuals, it's preach the gospel everywhere you go. And as St. Francis said, if necessary, use words. But preach the gospel. That's what we're called to do. And we're not just called to preach it. We're called to preach it with power. When you see somebody, and I, I, to this day, I still feel guilty. I, I was pastoring a church, went to the bank to give a deposit, and the teller, bless her heart, eyes were red, nose was all red and swollen. She had like three boxes of Kleenex close by. She had a bottle of Purell. Before she touched anybody's hand, she Purelled. I'm sorry, I just, I've got a terrible cold. And the Lord spoke to me at that moment. He said, just reach out and ask her if you can pray for her and pray a five-second prayer. You don't have to pray for hours. Just reach out and say, well, I'm a Christian. In the name of Jesus, I believe for your, his healing power to go into you and take this cold out. Amen. Don't ask permission. Just reach out and grab them, pray for them. And it doesn't take long. But expect God to do something when that happens. Now, I guarantee you, occasionally when you do that, people are going to recoil. Some will get offended. Some will get mad. But some will get healed. And when they get healed, they'll get saved. When God comes in and changes your life in a moment, I've told the story before and I'm going to tell it quickly. I remember the night I sat on that bed crying, suicidal. I, hadn't, I wasn't thinking about suicide. I was planning it out. I want to make sure I get it done right. And God stepped into that room and just all he said to me, if you will hold on a little bit longer, it will get better. Twelve words. That's it. And it took longer for me to say it than he said it. And my life changed. I'm talking in about a nanosecond. It changed. He gave me hope. And from one minute I was hopeless and suicidal. And the next minute it was like, wow, there's light at the end of this tunnel. And I know it's not a train. Because in my experience, when you saw a light at the end of the tunnel, there was a train coming, baby, and it had your name written on it. And it's going to hit you and it's going to hit you hard. I'd lived that way for 12 years. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And the devil beat my brains in. But it, that night, God came in and spoke to me and changed me forever. We need to be that mouthpiece. Now, it may just be that you pray some and God moves on somebody somewhere halfway around the world because you've been praying. That happens. I know that night somebody was praying for me. They may not have even known they were praying for me. But somebody was praying. God moved on somebody to pray. And, he, and, he, and, then, and this is the great thing about God. This is the mercy of God. He comes to Dennis and he says, Dennis, you've got to pray. 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 
And Dennis says, oh, my God, i got to pray. And then he prays, and God said, oh, well, since you're so fervent in your prayers, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to bless Pastor Chuck. Wasn't Dennis's idea to pray. It was God's idea. But Dennis said, okay, I'll pray. God's behind it all. He's behind the impetus to pray. He gives the faith to pray it out, and then he brings the blessing. We're just the middleman. Well, I want to be the middleman in some of those big exchanges, but you know what? The biggest money makers in the world are the middlemen. You go to Las Vegas, they don't, they don't make money because they win big, although the games are rigged against you. They make money because whether you win or you lose, they always take a take. They take, they take it out of the middle every time. The guys that make the most money are the guys that sit and say, hey, I got this, I can buy it for 80 cents. You want to buy it? I'll give it to you for a dollar. They put 20 cents in their pocket. They haven't made a thing. Haven't done anything except pick this up and handed it over there. And yet they're making a fortune. Steve Jobs. I forget what it was. The iPhone that I use. $450 cost. You know what Steve Jobs made off that? Three to four bucks. Before he died, he was a billionaire. By making three to four bucks off of every phone, every iPhone that was sold. That's not a lot of money. What's well, only three dollars? But he had lots of interactions. And when you are the middleman and you allow God to use you to get a blessing to someone else, guess what? You get blessed just for being willing. Now, we don't do it just to get blessed. But if, if I'm going to do it, I want the blessing. Amen? I want God's blessing on my life. <clears throat> Not because I want to be able to say, hey, I'm something, look at me. No, you get that attitude, the blessings will stop. Not only will they dry up, but, but the, there'll be bigger holes in your bucket and what you have will leak out. But God wants to use us. And He has told us to separate from the world, but at the same time, He's telling us to get in the world. Jump in the middle of it. Jump in the middle and take my presence into the darkest dives there are. Amen? And when you do that, He will show up. And he will. when He shows up, He normally shows out. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.